0: Welcome to Tales from the Waystone, a Kingkiller Chronicle reread podcast.
1: We are your hosts, Will and Phoenix. Let's get into it.
0: Welcome to Tales from the Waystone, season 2, episode 37, Hard Lessons, where we will be looking at chapters 79 through 80 of The Wise Man's Fear through the lens of imperfect instructors.
1: As we do each week, we will be examining a section of the wise man's fear through a chosen lens and figuring out what we can take from the text and apply to our real lives. We will also take some time to explore models of practical wisdom from the text with an Aristotelian Nemos of the week. After that, we will expand our understanding of our own world with an interesting fact. We will then share a recommended thing of the week. Finally, we will wrap things up with seven words from the book and seven words from our own lives. Before we begin, let's get some disclaimers out of the way. First of all, we are in no way affiliated with Patrick Rothfuss or his publisher, Da Books. Second... Spoilers. Need I say more? Also, a word to our community, be kind to yourselves and one another and the creators of the worlds that we love exploring. Unless they're transphobes.
0: Well, they need to learn to be kind to their readers. Anyway, let's move on. It's your turn to do the recap this week. So you've got 45 seconds or you're getting raspberries. Do you think you can do it? Well...
1: I mean, this was a pretty short section, so. I don't think that there's going to be raspberries in my future.
0: Let's find out, shall we? Yes. In three, two, one, go.
1: Okay, so Mike recap doesn't actually do this very much justice, but Martin teaches Quoth and Tempe the basics of tracking and then shows them just how easy it is to follow their own trail back, much to Quoth's chagrin. Quoth continues to freak out his teammates with arcane magics, this time by using the same wiggle the stick trick he used to signal Sim back when they broke into Ambrose's room that one time. The next day Tempe and Quoth teach each other to communicate better in their respective languages, and Kvoth caps the session by causing Tempe to freak out about music, and not in a good way. Of course, this leaves Kvoth very confused.
0: Surprisingly, 37 seconds. You filled more seconds than I expected you'd need. Yeah... <laughs> All right, so let's go ahead and jump in. So we start with chapter 79, Signs.
1: And not the M. Night Shyamalan
0: movie. In this case, it's just both Martin, Tempe, Daydan, and Hespa. They're going to be our core players pretty much throughout the bulk of these chapters.
1: Though Daydan and Hespa are mostly absent.
0: Yeah, their background in this case. They're there because they're there. We don't see them doing a whole lot. Really, the bulk of the action in 79 is between Martin, Quoth, and Tempe. We have Martin teaching Quoth and Tempe how to track as best he can. And Quoth being who Quoth
1: is, he goes into a lot of those details and kind of cleverisms almost. Like, he tends to try to appear way smarter by pointing out something that you probably already know but you think you're clever for. Which is, honestly, when do you rip your clothing so much going through the woods that you leave bits and pieces on branches without even noticing? Those two things are incongruent.
0: Yeah. Cloth does that whole, oh, this is the sort of thing that you only see in stories, looks at camera.
1: (laughs) Right. I do feel like there's a lot of these semi fourth wall breaks that happen in this story where he's like, oh, but of course, you know, that that doesn't happen in real life. And this isn't a story. This is real life.
0: Trust me. I know the tropes.
1: So Martin is taking them through the woods and asking them to look for signs that someone else has been through the woods. Somebody else has been through the woods. Martin.
0: So one of the things that I noticed that makes Martin such an effective teacher here is that he's imperfect and he shows his imperfections. He owns when he forgets something. He makes it safe for his learners to be vulnerable because he doesn't sit in judgment of them. He's patient. He's kind. When they mess up, he doesn't get on their cases. And when he messes up, he owns it. He doesn't beat himself up over it either he makes it so that nobody is feeling judged for it. Remember, they're just learning a lot of this stuff for the first time, and they're having to do it in the course of an afternoon, something that's gonna take practice. And so I think that in this case, the imperfect instructor is actually the perfect instructor.
1: I do find it interesting how Quoth seems to think that he should be able to get this all exceedingly quickly, like right away. Like, he should make no mistakes whatsoever first time out.
0: I think part of that is Quoth's inherent perfectionism. That's one of his character flaws.
1: Also, his belief that he's always good at something the first time he tries it.
0: Yeah. And here he's actually being confronted with something that he struggles with. He's not the most patient person, and this is all about being patient and methodical. That's not Quoth's jam.
1: Also, Quoth gets bored really easily. Like he needs to be stimulated all the time. And that's not a mark against him. I also need to have constant stimulation, something to do with my hands or something to do with my mind. Oftentimes I need to have two tracks going in the way that is multitasking, but not actually multitasking because multitasking is a myth. But I need to have something to rhythmic or something that is repetitive that I can do generally with my hands crocheting messing with a little guitar pick out of my pocket or any such thing I mean when I was in first grade this is my favorite report card ever my teacher noticed that I pick up lint out of my pocket and just play with it but every time that they'd ask questions about what the lesson was and asked me to do something like spell a word or repeat back what was just talked about. I was perfectly fine to do that. And I mean, oh, 34 years later, ugh, I am <laughs> still the person who crochets during d d or has something to draw or is playing a little idle merge game while watching television. And also, yesterday when we were playing D&D, before we started the game, I was like, you did warn everyone that I'm going to look like I'm not paying attention, right? And Will's like, no, but you're not the only neurodivergent person in the room, so...
0: We all have our own little things that we do to abnegate during downtime, and you can tell people.
1: <laughs> That's perfectly fair.
0: We saw that Quoth does a little of this too, where he picks up a bunch of leaves and just starts tearing them apart and scattering them in a circle when he's bored and just kind of trying to listen.
1: He just needed something else to do. And he didn't care about all the little breadcrumbs he was leaving everywhere. When the whole purpose of this exercise is to see what mistakes other people make and try to use that to your advantage. Now, of course, in the same way that nobody really leaves a torn piece of clothing, a lot of the signs that Martin leaves are over the top and easy to find on purpose because he's working with novices.
0: You kind of have to start at where they are and you have to get them used to looking for these things because... They're not always going to be obvious. So there's a couple things that I'm seeing that Martin is teaching here. So one, he is teaching Quoth and Tempe how to read the land. And he's also teaching them to take responsibility for their impact on it. They are responsible for what they leave behind and how they leave it. And so they have to take responsibility for cleaning it up. And throughout all of this, he's being gentle. Like he's not scolding Quoth for leaving the circle of leaves or whatever. He just says, okay, you're going to have to clean that up now. He's not trying to say that Foth is somehow stupid or a lesser student or anything like that. I think it's interesting to contrast Martin with the instructors at the university. Like you look at Elodin, who's like, I'm going to give you all these mysterious, cryptic hints at what you're supposed to figure out. And I'm going to approach it from this all-knowing, all-in-control vantage point, whereas Martin is basically saying, okay, we're learning on the job here. We're going to have to work together on this. I know more about this particular thing just because of time and experience, and I'll teach you what I know, but I'm not going to teach you as sort of like this wise master who knows all. You'd learn the same things if you'd had 40 years of experience doing this.
1: And it's not like he thinks he can teach 40 years of experience in an afternoon.
0: Well, and he calls out good ideas when he sees them, too. While they're trying to figure out how to signal each other, Martin is quick to admit that he hadn't thought that far.
1: But, of course, Kvoth being kvoth, Kvothe has thought that far. And so he made a whistle, he whittled a whistle, that sounds just like a bird he was listening to while he was whittling.
0: Yeah, a night jar. Emphasis on night. He says, hey, you know, that's actually really good. That's really smart. One problem, that's for a nocturnal bird. We're searching during the daytime, so anyone who's familiar with these is gonna recognize there's something weird if they hear that a bunch of times.
1: And then instantly, instantly, Quoth beats himself up for doing something bad, which isn't what Martin was trying to give as feedback. He said, no, that was a really good idea. You just don't have the experience required to know that that's a night bird.
0: I mean, Quoth did something really smart. He just hadn't thought it all the way through. And that's fine. Quoth I think, is not used to having gentle instructors. Like, everyone at the university is trying to teach these elaborate, over-the-top lessons with pain as the reward, you know? Someone just saying, hmm, I don't know that that's going to work. Let's try something else is kind of a novelty for him.
1: I think he's been conditioned.
0: I agree. Like, he messes up around Master Lauren and he gets whipped.
1: He messes up around Master Lauren and he gets banned from the archives.
0: He messes up around Ham, and he gets brought on trial.
1: He messes up around Eloden, and he gets thrown off a roof.
0: Yeah, I mean, the only one who hasn't really punished Quoth for doing something a little unconventional has been Master Kilvin. A- Elksadal. Yeah, Elksadal's been pretty good. But, again, that's two out of what, five? At least. That's not great. No. That's enough to give someone a complex.
1: Also, must remember, Quoth isn't yet twenty.
0: yeah, he's still a teenager. He's growing.
1: He's learning. so I also note that Tempe has learned a few things about what the purpose or what the goals of this part of the hunt really are. In our last episode in our last section, Quoth had to have an uncomfortable conversation about, hey, can you not wear a contrasting color? in the woods, you're going to be seen. This isn't about being seen. This is about sneaking up on people. And so now he's wearing gray homespun and he's recognizing that they can't just call out to one another if they expect to stay stealthy. It's kind of like in D&D, if you have a plate-wearing character, you can't expect to roll a Stealth check that is going to be worth a hill of beans.
0: No, at least any value that it has is pretty much just going to be comedic.
1: (laughs) Exactly. I mean, on one of my campaigns a number of years ago, I and I think our fighter were referred to as the Clanky Twins because I was a full plate cleric.
0: Yeah, that'll do it. So... I also love the bit where Kvothe tries to use the sympathy twig trick that he used with Sim back when they were breaking into Ambrose's quarters.
1: But he doesn't warn Martin that he's going to do this thing. And to be fair, I don't think I would like it if a random stick just wiggled in my hand either, with no warning and no explanation.
0: I'm not going to lie. It'd freak me out if... In contemporary modern world, someone pulled a trick like that with me. Quoth takes for granted just how mundane magic is to him, but to someone for whom that stuff that just doesn't happen, it can be kind of freaky.
1: And so just because this story is built around Sevens, it is interesting to me to note that Martin jumped two feet up and five feet back
0: Five and two being seven. That's a nice little narrative flourish there, narrator Kvoth.
1: (laughs) And then he goes on to try to explain to Martin what exactly this trick is. And he dumbs it down so much that his own narration is Elksadal would probably swallow his tongue to hear me say it this way. But I don't think that Elksadal would. Because I think that... Dahl is smart enough and learned enough and old enough and just general life experienced enough to understand that when you are explaining something to someone who has no frame of reference, you kind of have to pick the simplest explanation and build off of it rather than try to go into the metaphysical understanding of how Quoth is moving the other stick.
0: Yeah, I mean, in this case, Quoth doesn't need for Martin to have such an understanding of sympathy that he can become a practitioner. He just needs to know enough to understand that this is to be expected. It's the difference between trying to teach someone how to build a car and then teaching someone how to ride a bus. You don't need to know all the intricacies of how an internal combustion engine works. You just need to know that yep there's an engine in there and it makes the wheels go.
1: I just keep remembering that our nieces too and
0: the wheels on the bus go round and round. All through the town. Yep that's all that matters. But throughout all of this Martin owns his reactions. He doesn't try and play the tough guy or anything like that. He expresses his concerns, lets quote explain what's going on, and then he moves forward, which I think is displaying some emotional intelligence. So one of the other things that I notice here in Martin's training is that he's not just training Kvothe to see other things, but also to think about his own actions, which is not something Kvothe has historically been very good at. No. So after they've done a whole bunch of searching for an afternoon, Kvothe is like, okay, so we're going to keep going, right? And then Martin goes, nope, we're going back this way. And then Tempe immediately notices their own path. All of the things that they've trampled on, all the twigs that they've broken. And Kvothe feels really sheepish about it. But we don't get any indication that Martin judges him for it. Exactly. Martin is pretty quick to admit that this is boring stuff. It requires patience and... Attention to detail, neither of which are really Kvothe's strong suits. hmm And it's okay. Not everybody's good at this sort of thing. Again, I'm really struck here by Martin allows imperfections because he himself has them. He doesn't present himself as infallible, and he doesn't expect his students to be infallible. He expects that they're all going to make mistakes, and they'll work to fix them. That's a really mature approach to learning. And like I say, it's a far cry from what we see at the university, where they're expecting you pretty much have perfection on the first day of class, so why are you even in school?
1: Yeah, or at least that's how Quoth portrays it.
0: Yeah, that's true.
1: Now, along the way, Martin has set up demonstrations, examples, things... He's broken some twigs, he's made some footprints, he's done some other sorted tests, shall we say. And the first time that Quoth and Tempe come across any of them, they feel so accomplished for the fact that they found them. And it's really funny to me to watch Martin just take the wind out of Quoth's sails.
0: Yeah. Well, like Quoth's like, okay, so I figured out what all these battle tactics that we can use, and do we want to go now, or do we want to go back when we're rested? You know, which way do they go? You know, and then as soon as Martin says, "Like, yeah, good job, you found it," I left that there for you.
1: And Quoth is like, "But, but we found them. We get to go home, right?" No.
0: Martin does a pretty good job by acknowledging that this isn't going to be fun. This isn't going to be just a fun little camping trip with the buds. I also really like how Quoth compares this with his search for the materials to find the gram in the library. You know, he's looking for the schema, it's a painstaking search, but in that case he had the camaraderie with Will and Sem and Fella. and here he doesn't have that.
1: He hasn't made friends with any of his fellows, he has a respect for Martin, and he has a curiosity about Tempe, but that's not the same.
0: It's kind of like how when you're doing something that's really hard, you can bond with people, and it can make people draw a lot closer. But if you don't know the people, and you don't trust them, and you don't feel like they trust you, it can make it even harder. And yeah, he just really hasn't learned to trust his companions yet, or view them as equals. I like how Martin says, hey, because this is going to be pretty intensive and you need to be on your toes, I'm going to periodically leave little tests for you. It seems kind of like the practice of chaos engineering where technology companies will periodically introduce instabilities in their operating environment for the purposes of making sure that their operational teams are on their toes and that nobody's asleep at the wheel and figuring out how to solve the problems, keeps people awake
1: And so he introduces the concept of a
0: wager. And that really gets Kvoth going, because that gives him a ledger. That's
1: true. Because at the end of all this, Tempe and Kvoth are up, like, what, two pennies? Something like that?
0: I think that's smart on Martin's part, though. Like, he knows that this is dull, he knows it's dry, so let's have a little fun with this.
1: Now, speaking of trying to add some levity to this tedium when they get back to camp martin is the first to tell a story around the campfire
0: i think this is actually a lovely bit of character work kvothe hasn't really had an anchor to really bond with these people in anything more than a superficial way but one of the things that we do know about kvothe and i think this is one of his strengths as a person is his love of stories and he loves people who love stories So when he sees Martin telling this story, which I think falls into the category of a simple story told well. The
1: story was a good one. There was a hungry giant and a riddle game. But the widow's son was clever. And in the end, he brought the princess back and married her.
0: Right. What we see throughout all of this is also the reactions of the rest of the party. So Daydan is smiling and nodding along. He's heard it before and he loves where this is going. He's not interrupting, he's just enjoying it. Hespa is providing the laugh track and the oohs and the ahs and the gasps. She's really strongly engaged with it. And then Tempe is watching rapt, like silent and still. And that stillness is showing an attentiveness that Kvothe hasn't seen in him before. And I think this is where Kvothe really starts to feel like, okay, yes, these are my people. These are people who actually value something that I value. And I think that's where we start to see them bonding a little bit. I think it's really pretty.
1: I think it's a lovely end of that chapter. The next chapter is very short, but I think it's very important.
0: I agree. This chapter is really just Kvoth and Tempe. Martin and Hespa and Daydan are now off doing their own sweep of the forest. And so Kvothe and Tempe are stuck back at camp and Quoth is bored. Because, of course, Quoth is bored.
1: Quoth doesn't deal well when he's not in control of a situation. When he feels stuck.
0: When he doesn't have an obvious task to work on. So, like, he does a whole bunch of busy work.
1: He has what Adam Savage calls get sure. done Why don't you explain that? It's pretty self-explanatory. It's pretty much just having to have a project and having to get through it and having to finish it and having to have yet another project ahead of you. And if you have situations like I do where you get hyper-focused on something, sometimes it's good to have a second project to use as kind of a procrastination tool. So you have two things going on at once. So you can always procrastinate on one by doing the other.
0: Yeah, Kvoth doesn't seem to do too well with this unstructured time, though. There aren't chores to do, there aren't goals to accomplish, there aren't...
1: I mean, there probably are chores to do, if your mom was around. It's well, camping, of course there's chores.
0: Chores outside, that's camping with mom. But finally, he recognizes that the only source of novelty at this point is Tempi. So he decides to go to talk to Tempe.
1: And Tempe doesn't really want to talk. Tempe has his own stuff that he's perfectly capable of doing all by himself. But he sees the usefulness when Kvoth suggests, if you teach me how to speak in your language, I'll teach you how to better speak in a Turin.
0: Yeah, it serves as sort of a cultural exchange. And... I think also what's interesting is Quoth starts to realize that, like when Tempe stands very close to someone, it isn't coming from just him being a weirdo. It's coming from the fact that personal space means something very different among the Adem compared to among the Turin norms. So when Quoth asks about that, Tempe recognizes that. The things that he's doing that have meaning are actually getting noticed. And so they have an interesting conversation there where Tempi sort of hints as best he can, because I think he's just as limited by his language as Kvoth is, that distances mean different things for them. That it's appropriate to speak to someone very closely in certain contexts. And obviously Kvoth doesn't know all those yet.
1: One of the things I do really love, and it's definitely a Patrick Rothism, languages are like musical instruments. The more you know, the easier it is to pick up new ones. Ademic was my fourth language.
0: One thing that I'll, I'll say here though, is that Quoth's familiarity with these other languages initially holds him back a little bit because he's doing kind of rote learning of vocabulary Without truly understanding how the ademic language works. How grammar works, how
1: enunciation works, how rhythm works.
0: Right. Because ademic is not just a simple case of you repeat the same thing and then that's what it is. Words change their meaning based on their tone and their meter. So it's not enough to just simply repeat a word. You have to repeat the tonal things as well. You have to understand that. And once he realizes it, he gets really interested and then it opens up all these new horizons for him because suddenly he's thinking of new ways he can communicate.
1: And this is before we get into all the hand talk.
0: Right. It's suddenly helping him to understand why it would be so hard to go from Demic to a Turin. But one of the things that we quickly get is that Tempe is also getting a lot of a in out of this. Because every time he's teaching Kvoth a new word, Kvoth's also teaching him a word.
1: And probably speaking a whole heck of a lot more. Which means that not only is Tempe getting new words, but he's getting new grammar.
0: Yeah. What I love about this is, going back to our lens here, they're both imperfect instructors for one another. In that... They're both treading new ground.
1: They're both getting frustrated and seemingly neither one of them is opening their ears up enough to really listen until they do.
0: But what we also see is that they are starting to take pleasure in learning from one another. They're learning as equals. Like, so when Kvothe is trying to learn the concept of dance, Like, and so he's having to teach this word to Tempe. And Tempe, of course, doesn't know the Etoran word for it.
1: And so Kvoth has to pantomime.
0: And so, of course, he's doing sort of these big, over-the-top, silly demonstrations. And they're both having fun with that. They're both trying to play a game of charades and then learning the concepts. And, of course, they're learning it crudely, right? It's a start, but it's coming from this place where They're both vulnerable, they're both not perfect, they're both trying their best, and they're both able to give grace to one another.
1: And then throughout the course of this, Foth notes that the Edemic language is very musical, just in itself. There's a lot of similarities between things like music theory and the cadence rhythm, kind of lilting qualities of Edemic. And so he asks Tempe to share some songs. And as we've seen before, Tempe doesn't really comprehend music the same way.
0: He's never really heard songs.
1: Other than out in the world, but he's always got a kind of intense curiosity about it.
0: There is a little bit of shame built into that curiosity as well.
1: I'd liken it to somebody who was raised with very conservative, like socially conservative behaviors and very... I don't want to say the word prudish because prude has such a negative connotation. And I don't want to say the word innocent either because that's not what I mean.
0: How about if they came from a very restrictive household growing up?
1: Especially around things like relationships and sex. So... In some ways, it would be like someone like that making friends with someone who makes inappropriate sexual
0: jokes. Yeah. And Tempe's curious, but he doesn't want to let on that he's curious.
1: He feels shame and embarrassment, and he doesn't know how to ask questions without triggering those, quote, negative emotions.
0: I think really what we're seeing here is also... Both running into the cultural differences that maybe he's taken for granted, like for all of the other cultures that he's encountered, they all effectively are running off of the same general cultural framework.
1: And as we've also seen, though, with his running into the superstitious part of the Ventish culture and not understanding and not trying to understand and not changing his behavior to suit it. The same thing I think is true about how he's running like a bull in a China shop directly into those cultural
0: barriers. I think part of it is that when you compare, say, his experience in Imre versus his experience in Ventus, it's mostly the same. They're mostly speaking the same language. Maybe their accents are a little different and then they have different fashion sense. But fundamentally, most of the structures are the same. So he's able to kind of bull through a lot of that. When he's dealing with Tempe and the Adem, though, he's dealing with a culture that has a fundamentally different way of structuring their thinking. They don't think about the world in the same way that he does. They don't think about society in the same way that everybody else does. Like they're playing on a completely different playbook here. And so all of their paradigms don't map even remotely closely. Their hierarchies look completely different. Their customs are completely different. Their etiquette is completely different. Their language is completely different. All of these differences mean that The little things that he could just write off as, you know, minor regional differences aren't even there. He doesn't have a frame of reference for how to deal with things like this. He can't conceive of a society where music is taboo. As different as Ventus may be from Imre, people in Ventus still understand what a song is.
1: And Quoth views these things as inherent.
0: And I think that's part of just his being young.
1: There's a short-sightedness there.
0: Well, and he's traveled enough to feel like he's seen a lot. And to be fair, he's seen more than most people his age. But he also has been traveling in relatively homogenous cultures that are going to have easy analogs to where he came from. This is his first time encountering a truly different culture and struggling with it.
1: Now... I can't remember because it's been a very long time since I've read the last bit of this book. So the stuff with Adem culture, do they not have songs or do they just have music as a intensely intimate thing?
0: My understanding is that it is something that is reserved exclusively for deep intimacy. Like it is not something that is performed in public and it is something that is done strictly behind closed doors and only for the closest of relationships.
1: As opposed to sex, which is mostly about feeling good.
0: Yeah, and can be done in front of anybody. They have a reverse exhibitionism. Foth hasn't really encountered any of this, so his understanding of these norms are different. This is why I think traveling to other countries where customs are radically different can be a really useful life experience for people. And I think it's good for Quoth to get this.
1: I think it's good for any person to get this. Like, I'm not going to tell people how to spend their time or money, especially not now, but in some ways, not always, but in some ways, it can be more useful to some people, not all people, but some people to travel the world or at least visit other countries instead of going directly into college from high school.
0: I think there is definitely some value in having that sort of transformative experience. And I think also Tempe appreciates having someone express curiosity about his way of life. It has to be very lonely for Tempe to be a stranger in a strange land where no one is expressing any empathy towards his own cultural context or trying to understand him as a person.
1: And to Kvothe's credit, he is not passing judgment. He is not being rude about it. He literally just blundered into something that he didn't understand that seems normal to him, but is so severely guarded by Tempe but Tempe also understands that Quoth wasn't meaning to make him uncomfortable and so when Quoth kind of pushes it and goes hey I didn't understand I don't know what's going on can you please enlighten me Tempe's reaction is it's complicated which is a nice way to shut off this conversation
0: one thing I see here is that when Tempe says complicated, sorry, I'm doing my Nick Podell impression right here. <laughs> but when he does complicated, what he's really saying is, I don't have the vocabulary to describe it to you in words that you'll understand. And this is something that both will come to understand better over time, and so will Tempe. But. Understanding where these gaps are is important.
1: All right. And that gets us to the end of the chapters that we read. Little, 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 tiny chapters. Lots of stuff to talk about.
0: Really interesting stuff too. I have Nemos this week, so I picked Martin. I
1: suspect that Martin will be our choice for a while.
0: So what I loved about this is he admits his own mistakes. He admits the things that he hasn't thought of. He is able to be vulnerable and imperfect with Quoth and Tempe. And he also, instead of trying to berate them into pay attention, this is important, he says, well, let's make it interesting. Let's set up a wager. You know, he looks for ways to meet them where they are and he empathizes with them. He's like, look, I've done this before. I know that it's boring. I'm not going to try and tell you that it isn't. So let's make it fun. Let's give us something that's competitive. Because I know, like, Quoth is a hyper competitive person.
1: Yes, hands down.
0: He can't not be competitive. And meanwhile, he's also able to overcome some of his fear of Quoth's magic. Martin is able to put into words what scares him about it and what makes him nervous. And gives Kvoth the opportunity to help allay those fears. Instead of just running for the hills and keeping Kvoth at arm's length, he says, okay, I'm worried that you could pull me out of the tree with it. Is this going to be okay? Because he doesn't know what this is going to be like. And so Kvoth is then able to take the time to say, look, this is just a little twig. It's going to move around like this, like a crude marionette. Can't hurt you. And he's like, okay. I was startled. I see that I have nothing to fear. I'm going to be fine. You know, <laughs> he's able to move forward on that. And I think finally, I mentioned this earlier, like he doesn't judge Tempe and Quoth when they miss things. He just shows patience and compassion and says, Oh yeah. And then there was this other thing over here too. I'm glad you found this though. So, and then he makes it safe for them to learn to actually make mistakes, to grow. Because if they can't learn and grow, if they can't be vulnerable, they're never going to be able to learn to trust one another. And I think that's just really important here. And I think that's a key thing that we can all take from this.
1: I like it. I like your explanation. Audience, I know that it's been a number of weeks and that Martin continues to be our phronimos. But when your choices are Kvoth, Tempe, Dedan, Hespa, or Martin, are you going to tell me that you're going to choose other than Martin?
0: It's slim Pickens.
1: Maybe sometimes Tempe.
0: But even still, I don't think he's quite hit that point yet. Yet. That brings us to the interesting fact of the week. It's my turn. Yep. What'd you pick?
1: All right. So we here at Tales from the Waystone fully embrace and encourage the feeling and expression of one's emotions, regardless of if society has deemed those emotions as good or bad, positive or negative. And as you all know by now, I have a strong drive to find out the reasons why behind certain things. And so today I have a few facts about crying and hyperventilating that I found fascinating. First up, why does breathing into a paper bag help some people stop hyperventilating? And why I'm not actually recommending that you do it. So when a person hyperventilates, they can easily upset the healthy balance between breathing in oxygen and breathing out carbon dioxide because they are breathing out more than they are breathing in. This leads to a carbon dioxide deficiency and can cause blood vessels that supply the brain to constrict. This can also lead to lightheadedness, tingling extremities, just a whole host of this ain't good. So breathing into a paper bag for, and let me stress this, short periods, like around six to 12 breaths maximum can help some people recover some of the lost CO2. For safety reasons, if you choose to use this technique, remember that A, it must be a small paper bag that you can't suck into your mouth because you could suffocate on it. Plastic is a huge no-no. And no more than 12 breaths. And don't let anyone else hold the bag for you because they won't necessarily be able to tell when you've taken 12 breaths. So chances are if someone is hyperventilating, they're dealing with something very heavy emotionally. And this method of treating it may also lead to some self-harm, whether intentional or accidental. So I recommend breathing exercises and calming techniques, like breathing in through your nose and holding for a few seconds and release through your pursed lips very slowly. If you can, try to slow down your breath, try belly breathing, try something else besides this. But the reason it works is that it allows you to breathe back in your carbon dioxide that you breathed out. And you need that in order to function properly. Again, there are other ways and many good alternatives can be found online, but I was curious why that was a thing and why that was kind of a trope. Second thing, crying. The act of crying can be very beneficial and actually help lift your mood. It does this in a few ways. First, when you cry for a long period of time, You may release oxytocin and endorphins, which can numb some of the emotional upset that you're experiencing and may even give you a sense of calm. Second, it is possible that a physical effect of crying is that it cools your brain down a tiny amount and that that tiny amount is enough to change how certain hormones and chemicals work inside your brain, which leads to a better overall mood after you've finished your cry. So bottom line, Feel your feelings, and we hope that you have a safe and secure way and place to do so.
0: And also around people that you feel safe doing so. I think that's good stuff.
1: You know, maybe it's a little bit of a downer, but I do think that it's fascinating to look into the reason why we do what we do as people, as a species. Some of these things are just natural outgrowths. And it can help me when I understand where the benefits are to remove a stigma or shame around what society has deemed negative.
0: So now it's time for the thing of the week. Yay! It's my turn. And so my recommendation is playing RPGs with friends. We just started up a role-playing campaign for the first time since, like, 2019. And it felt really good to just get some people together to eat snacks and roll dice and make jokes and go on adventures. We're playing a fifth edition D&D Spelljammer campaign, and our first session so far has been a lot of fun. Like, there's something about just getting people together to tell a story that... I think is just incredibly powerful. And it doesn't matter whether you're playing D&D of any edition or something from World of Darkness or Blades in the Dark or Kids on Bikes or Fate or any number of other role-playing systems out there. Call of Cthulhu. Call of Cthulhu, you name it. Like any number of them. Like having that... Experience of people getting together to use their imagination. There's just something really magical about it.
1: Also, I really appreciate it when we have other people with my similar sense of humor because one of my great joys is confusing the hell out of people by being absolutely, completely, and 100% asexual and making some of the dirtiest sexual jokes. Ever. And not a knock against you, but you and I don't do the banter that well.
0: That's just not my way.
1: But I really love that at least one of our players and I, who, I mean, he's also ace, <laughs> can just have these just awful things that come out of our. <laughs>
0: Yeah, the dirty-minded ace cohort is pretty strong in this particular group.
1: <laughs> it makes me laugh so much. <laughs> anyway.
0: Yeah, so I mean, like, right now we've got a mixture of playstyles and experience levels across the board, and it's really interesting seeing you in particular interact with one of our other players who's had a lot of experience in role-playing games, but just not this particular system. And so... Like, you're in a position right now where, of our players, in this system, you're the expert. And it's cool seeing you really embrace that.
1: So I just made the kind of Kermit face because I just realized that in some ways that is true.
0: And I'm really proud to see you embrace that and step up for that.
1: It's really nice also that I'm playing a character that is completely different. Than any other character I've ever played. I'm definitely more flippant. I'm definitely more willing to just disengage and just teleport 30 feet into the alleyway. I'm happy to be a swindler and play along with the rogue who is very much in it for himself and of the you can't
0: bullshit
1: type. Playing an RPG gives you free license to do things you wouldn't normally do in a safe environment. And in this case, it's this fantastical space adventure that's kind of reminiscent of Guardians of the Galaxy, but like mixed space and nautical stuff.
0: Yeah, a little bit. I describe it as steampunk in space. I like it. So we're having a lot of fun with that. So... I would encourage you to find a way to get together with some friends that you trust and roll some dice. Have some fun.
1: Introduce the game to somebody new or find a group that is willing to introduce it to you.
0: Yeah, it can be a lot of fun. So with that, it's time for our seven words from the books. It's my turn for that this week. There weren't a whole lot. No, there weren't. So I just got three options here. You can't just go shouting for me. Then I have, how hard will it pull at me? And then the one I actually chose was, could you sing me an Adem song?
1: I think that that's the best of the options. And I like it.
0: Yeah. And you had words from life. What'd you pick?
1: I think you're going to get a kick out of what I chose. Let's hear it. Oh! You must be a space elf.
0: (laughs) That's a good one.
1: I was doing my best not to specifically obfuscate what I was, but also not to say what I actually was. And our rogue figured it out.
0: (laughs) Well, I'm glad that you picked that one. I think that's a pretty fun callback to our recommended thing. Yes. So with that, I'd like to thank you for potting with me.
1: Thank you for potting with me.
0: And thanks for listening to Tales from the Waystone. Join us next time on Tales from the Waystone as we cover chapters 81 through 83 of The Wise Man's Fear through the lens of the stories we tell.
1: We would like to thank our friend Shani Jang for our theme music.
0: And many thanks to Patrick Rothfuss for creating a world that we've enjoyed exploring.
1: Audio production, editing, and social media coordination, courtesy of me, Phoenix McCullough,
0: and writing and project management, courtesy of me, Will McCullough.
1: If you would like to help support us and have the means to do so, which we completely understand, especially right now, not many people do, perfectly okay. Please consider becoming a patron on our Patreon page, patreon.com waystonepod, where you can get access to the show a little bit early, where you can get bonus pods about Sandman that we'd really love it if somebody wanted to listen to and other exciting items.
0: And as always, here's to one more day above the roses.
1: To one more day above the roses. Ding! Ding. What is your process for naming them?
0: Inconsistent.